0: Amen, amen. Hey, this morning we are in Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 20. And so if you don't have a Bible, you can find the one in the back of the pew in front of you. We'd love for that to be a gift from us to you. If you're not familiar with how to use the Bible, you can find a table of contents at the front. It's going to let you know where the book of Galatians is located. And then as we're working our way through today, the large numbers are chapters and the small numbers are verses. Galatians chapter 4 verses 8 through 20. I was thinking this week uh, just kind of the privilege of the occupation I find myself in and just the, the vantage point that I get to see life unfold in a number of different people's experiences and lives. And some of that is just incredibly joyous. I mean, seeing a couple come in and and they're struggling and, and they have issues and they're working together and to see them submit themselves to the power of God and to see them drawn back together and to see their relationship blossom and flourish. To see children uh, return back to their parents. To see parents' heart open back up to their children. To see relationships restored, renewed, and to see all of these amazing things take place. To see people overcome addiction. And, and I have a front row seat to that. And it is joy. But well, what's incredibly heartbreaking is to journey through with, with a couple who comes into the office and like, this is his issue or, or this is her issue. And, and to see them kind of head on this path towards reconciliation and restoration and, and, and make it, and then at some point, months, days, weeks later, they're back in there. And it's, I can't stand him, I can't stand her. I'm done. I'm done. You see, they make it to this crossroad. They make it to this kind of next obstacle in their path. And then what we find in the midst of this is in making this decision, there is this overwhelming temptation backslide. There's this overwhelming temptation to bail. There's this overwhelming temptation for the addict to give themselves back to alcohol, to give themselves back to drug, to give themselves back to pornography. There's this overwhelming temptation in each and every one of these occasions to give themselves back to sin. Now, as Paul's addressing the Galatians, he's addressing these believers there. He's been walking them through and showing them the superiority and why they need to give themselves not to adherence to the law, but why they need to give themselves to faith in Jesus and faith in Jesus alone. And he's been building the argument from uh, spirituality and theology. You've got the spirit. You don't get the spirit through the law. You get the spirit uh, by faith through God. You don't become a part of God's family through the law. You become part of God's family through faith. And over and over and over again, he's drawing at the superiority how incredibly important it is that they come away, that you and I walk away with this understanding that the only way we're ever saved is by faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? But we recognize that there are occasionally these crossroads and the Galatian believers find themselves at a crossroads and the Apostle Paul wants desperately to direct them down the right path. Would you read with me? Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 20. Paul writes, and he says, "Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by their very nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. For whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is fully formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Let's pray once more. God, many of us today find ourselves at a crossroad. We are confronted with sin, we are drawn back to our past way of living. And God, at that crossroad, a war wages for the future of our souls. And so God, today I pray that by the power of your Spirit, that you would lead us in conviction, that you would lead us to surrender those things that would find ourselves living in slavery to sin. That we would be delivered, that we would be reminded of the salvation we enjoy in Christ. And so God, I pray that that we would find ourselves in you being set free once again today. God, help us to travel down the path towards faithfulness to Jesus. So God, I pray that you would grant to us clarity this morning. I pray that you would grant to us joy this morning in this hearing. God, that your spirit would be mightily at work in this place. And God, we pray... That you would be with those who are watching online. That you would speak to them. That you would move in their hearts. And we thank you that we are able to gather in this way. And we submit these things to you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Look at how Paul moves into uh, this discussion in verses 8 through 10. He really kind of gives us this, this snapshot of... Of kind of where they were in the past and and what's going on, what they seem to find themselves engaged in. He says, Formerly, you didn't know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. Now, in writing the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul addresses this over the subject of meat sacrifice to idols and kind of what's going on in there. And essentially, what he communicates is when we find ourselves in the midst of these things and we are drawn, we are given, we are led astray in these ways. We're not engaged in, in this idea that, that, is, that is morally neutral. You're not engaged in a pursuit that is morally neutral. Look at what he says right there. He says, you were enslaved to those who that by their very nature are not gods. He says, this is who you were and this is what you were doing. You found yourselves, according to Ephesians 2, living in submission to the prince of the power of the air. Now this begins to hit them in this understanding of saying, we weren't engaged in something that God looked down and said, Look, they're doing things that aren't all that helpful, but they are morally neutral. He says, no, in the midst of this, you're engaged in things, you're engaged in worship of something that is not God. In fact, what it is, is submission to demonic powers, submission to demonic powers. Now, that could manifest in a variety of different ways. It might manifest as as drug addiction. It might manifest as some form of of narcissism. It might manifest in any number of different ways. But what he writes in the midst of this is, this is who you once were. Now, what's that communicating? This is not who you are. This is who you used to be. Because look at the good news he gives them in verse 9. But now that you have come to know God, and then he clarifies that, he says, or rather, to have become known by God. Do you see the amazing thing there? They were formerly wayward. They found themselves enslaved to any manner of of sinfulness. And he says, in the midst of these things, God came to know you. Now, this is amazing. This is good news for them, and it's good news for us. It's not that in the midst of these things, we have this idea when he says, oh, I just don't know. I, I could be engaged in this, or I could follow God, and let me just make a checklist. And, and, and I got all the things that are great over here. I love all the feelings that this brings me. And then, you know, I got all these things, and God's just kind of a dragon. I just don't know. I think I'm going to take this one. He says, That's not how it works. He said, it wasn't in the midst of these things that you made this rational choice and decision that said, you know, addiction's going to cost me a lot, but following God doesn't cost me as much, so I'm going to give up addiction. I'm going to give up addiction because I get my family. I'm going to give up addiction because I could lose my job. I'm going to give up addiction because it's not socially acceptable in the circles I want to travel. He said, No. That would be you doing something remarkable. That would be you doing something amazing. But what he says in the midst of this is that you have become, you have been known by God. He has known you. He has redeemed you. He sent his son to die for you. He ransomed you. He pulled you back from the dead. He opened your blind eyes. He spoke into your dead heart. He's the one who's changed you. He says, listen, because that's true in the midst of these things, he asks this question, and you can see his apostolic mind just exploding, right? It's like his head is this. Never mind. Anyway, and so he's just exploding in the midst of this. He says, how can you then turn back? And then he describes them. He says, to the weak, to the worthless, elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more. So he paints... The progression in this crossroads down this one path, he says, you're here in the midst of this, and this direction is faithfulness to God. And this direction is walking in line with a God who has known you. And this path over here, it is living in league with the weak and the worthless elementary principles of the world. And you're gonna find yourself, if you head in this direction, not finding joy, not finding deliverance, you're gonna find yourself if you move in this direction, being enslaved once more. And the implication is clear. You have been set free. Galatian believers, you have been set free. Members of Ridgecrest Church, you have been set free. Followers of Jesus Christ, you have been set free free you have been gloriously and wonderfully fully and finally perfectly delivered and what do we find themselves in the middle of doing he says look this is insanity you want to be enslaved to them once more you observe days and months and seasons and years Days and months and seasons and years. They found themselves being set free, but what they wanted, what they were moving in line with, was finding themselves saying, this is a great day. Let me look at the calendar. Let me look at the Jewish calendar. Let me get the Old Testament out and see how I need to be and see how I need to act. So that doing these things and engaging in this way, God might look from heaven and say, this is the guy. This is the woman. And Paul says, no. No. In the midst of doing these things, in the midst of seeking to live in submission to days and weeks and months and season, what you're doing is submitting yourself to sin. What you're doing is submitting yourself to a system and saying, this system, this path, this progression is what makes me holy. God is not the one who makes me holy. And in so much as we do this, we find ourselves moving away from righteousness to God and moving towards submission to sin and self. And Paul's summary statement on this, he says, listen, if this is really how you're acting, if this is really the way that you're doing, when when I look at these things, the question rolls in my mind of, have I done all of this in vain? No, this isn't the type of accusation that he looks at them and says, you guys haven't been worth my time, you guys have not been worth my effort, but this is a pastor's heart breaking for people who are moving in the wrong direction. And I think this is something that we can recognize. Like, if you love the people that you are around and you see them moving in sinful ways and in sinful directions, like, our heart breaks for them. There's an element on the surface, right, that we are just angry and indignant that they would move in this direction. But there's something so much deeper inside of us that when we see people moving in these directions, that our heart breaks for them, that we lose sleep for them, that we wake up early for them. But why? Because we recognize in the midst of these things, they're giving themselves to something that does not save. They're submitting themselves to something they can't come back from. They're giving themselves to something that is not worthy of them. It is not the Lord. It is opposed to the Lord. And Paul, with his pastor's heart, looks at them and their waywardness and so frustrated for what he sees in them, he says, I am terrified I might have labored in vain over you. And so in the midst of describing the situation and the plight they find themselves in, and this crossroad before them, he gives to them the first command in the entire book of Galatians. And it's interesting. Look at the command in verse 12. He says, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am. Become as I am. Now what is he talking about? Is he talking about being an impassioned person? Is he talking about being a person who says what they think? Is he talking about being a person who speaks boldly? Is he talking about being a person in these ways? No. He's not saying adopt my attitude. He's not saying adjust to to my difficulties. Listen to what he says. Back in chapter 2 and verse 19, he says, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. We get a clue in here. He says, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. How did Paul become? Paul became someone who does not live in submission to the law. And Paul said, listen, when I found myself not living in submission to the law, I finally began to live. I finally began to experience the fullness of life. I finally began to experience what it is to know and love God and to be loved by God, not because I'm doing the right things, but because Jesus did the great and glorious thing for giving himself for me. And Paul's heart is breaking for them because what he sees in them He sees them moving backwards into slavery. He sees them moving backwards into submission to the elementary principles of the world. And Paul says, learn something from me. Learn something from my plight. Learn something from my difficulties. Learn something from the wayward path where I thought I was pursuing righteousness, but in reality, what I was pursuing was a false gospel. I found no hope in the law. But I was known by him, but I was saved by him, but I was delivered by him. Oh, Galatian believers, become as I am. Be set free today. Man, you and I, we always need this reminder of the gospel rolling around in our hearts, making its way to our minds, spilling out of our mouths, so that we might see the plight we're currently engaged in through the lens of the gospel and not the lens of all the difficulties of everyday life. There is so much going on each and every day, and we are struggling to keep up. I had someone ask me this week, they said, hey, uh, what, are the, what are the guidelines for exposure to COVID? And I thought my head was going to explode. I just said, I don't know. I feel like every four hours it changed for months and months and months. And then I got it and then I got the vaccine and I went. And all the space that was formerly used for COVID information was filled back up with something else. And you're asking me to take that space and put COVID back in there? And they're like. Man, could you just point me in the right direction? I was like, I'm sorry. Listen, all I'm going to do is Google it. Can't you do the same thing? <laughs> I feel like 90% of the questions people ask me could be a simple Google search. Do you ever feel like that? I'm sorry, do you not have access to Google? And they come back and like, no, I don't have very many friends. I'm just like, well, let me tell you. I don't know how Google feels about this, but but he should be your friend. Google search. Would you be my friend? Zero results. Some of us. True enough. True enough. Where was I? Good gracious. Y'all are so distracting sometimes. So he gives them this command, become as I am. Don't live in submission to the law. Don't listen to what the Judaizers are telling you. And then he gives them this shared story that they had together. Paul has a shared story, a shared experience with the Galatians, and he wants to remind them of it so that they recognize, man, we actually do love Paul. Paul actually does love us. So he starts in the beginning. He says, listen, you did me no wrong. You didn't offend me. You weren't hurting me. You weren't moving against me. You did me no wrong when we were gathered together in the beginning. He says, listen, I I was there, and I was in your midst because of a bodily ailment. That's the whole reason I found myself in Galatia, in these five cities. The whole reason I was there is because I was sick and I couldn't go anywhere else. Now, what's Paul communicating in the midst of this? You see, Paul's theology of understanding is that God is the sovereign king of the universe. So when Paul says that I was there because of a bodily ailment, Paul is communicating a couple of things. One, I had no plans to be there. Two, God absolutely planned for me to be there. So God superintended to afflict me so that I might be stuck with you. And some of you feel like that with Greenville, right? But God superintended to afflict me so that I might be stuck with you. And in the midst of these things, this is what God had. God has placed us in this relationship together. Me communicating the gospel to you is what he says. He says, and though my condition was a trial to you... Paul intends to say to this, I was not an easy patient. I was not an easy patient. I was not an easy person to treat. I was not an easy person to be around. For me, in the midst of these things, it was difficult for you to have me there because you had to take care of me. I was unable to take care of myself. And how did the Galatians respond? Did they go in and be like, here's your chicken noodle soup? Here are your salting crackers and your Sprite. I don't know why that's the cure for everything in the 80s, but it was. Unless you're at my grandmother's house, and then it was Vicks in every orifice. But listen. (laughs) TMI, right? In the midst of these things, he says, you didn't scorn me. You didn't despise me. How did they receive him? He says, you received me. The ESV renders it as an angel of God. We could translate it as a messenger of God. But then he ups it, right? He says, You receive me as Christ Jesus. When Paul came, they gladly received him. When Paul came and he was sick and he was weary, and, and all they could do was take care of Paul in his, his weariness, he was communicating the gospel to them. There was no scorn, there was no hate, there was no disappointment. They received him warmly, they received him par excellence. So for Paul towards the Galatians and the Galatians towards Paul, there was this extension and reception of love. Paul's describing how they were formally together. I loved you, and you loved me, and you served me. So he's asking them to remember. Do you remember what this was like? Do you remember what it was like to walk in fellowship one with another? Then he turns and he says, what has become of your blessedness? He could pose it another way. Galatians, what's happened to the joy of your salvation? You are a people who, when you face difficulty, you look for a way to step into that difficulty. When you saw brothers and sisters struggling, you look for a way to step into that difficulty. When you, in the midst of hardship and trial, found things that were oppressive to you, you didn't back away. You didn't cower. You were a people who pressed in. What has become of your blessedness? What has changed in you? What has been modified in you? And he says, listen, this is how I know how great you are. In the midst of that time, If my malady had been a problem with my eyesight, he uses this metaphor, and this isn't meant to be uh, taken literally. He says, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. You would have taken the most important part of your body, according to the first century understanding, and you would have gladly surrendered them to me. Now, what is he saying there? You would have sacrificed with no expectation to receive back. You would have sacrificed with no expectation to receive back. You would have been harmed if it enabled you to serve me. That's their relationship. But their relationship has fallen on hard times. You see, because they're receiving the word of Paul, and they're receiving the word of the Judaizers, the circumcision party, those that are seeking to lead them astray. And so Paul comes in the midst of this, and he says, you need to figure out how you see me. You need to figure out how you see me. So he asks them, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Now, Proverbs 27 and verse 6 clearly speaks to this premise. Listen to what it says. Faithful, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful over the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Paul wants them to see in the midst of this, there is no way he can love them and let the direction they're headed on stand. He can't do it. Paul sees them enmeshed in sin. He sees them moving against the gospel. He sees them headed in a direction that would lead them away from Jesus. And so he's coming at them with everything he has because that's how he loves them. He's not excusing their behavior. He's not excusing the way that they are living their lives and he's not excusing the things they're thinking. They're thinking things that are wrong and they're acting in such a way that is wrong. He loves them too much to let it stand. But he says listen, of course we recognize on the other hand you have these guys that are coming in there and they are making much of you. They are prizing you. They're talking about how great you are. You guys are doing such a good job. You're moving towards the law. You, you got ten people signed up out of a hundred in the community to be circumcised. That's so great. You guys are doing door-to-door law evangelism. And that's so amazing. Oh, I'm just so excited for you. They are having much made of them. And we like that, don't we? If you go to somebody and you say, listen, I'm struggling in this particular way, I have this particular difficulty, and the person that you're sharing it with just says, yes, it's somebody else's problem. They are oppressing you, they are sinning against you, they are moving against you in these ways. You are innocent. That feels great. That's so incredibly encouraging. You just want to say, thank you, yay. You told me, you're so right. You see my perspective. They actually are the devil. Would you say that back to me just so I can hear you say that you believe they are the devil? Too much. Okay, too much. Too much. They're demonically influenced? All right. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. But an enemy multiplies kisses. See, in the midst of this, Paul truly loves the Galatians and and these these other men and women who've come to the community. What do they really want? They want followers. They want followers. This is why Paul says they make much of you for no good purpose. They try and shut you out, essentially, shut you out from the gospel that, that, that you might make much of them. They want followers. They are not concerned with the Galatian believers. They want followers. One of the difficult things that you and I encounter over the course of our lives is that to be in a community of faith, to be in relationships with other Christians, is that we will repeatedly find ourselves facing an opportunity to step into their lives and speak to their sin. Now listen not talking about disagreeing we've done a lot of that over the last year we had the election we had covid and and we had all of these things to disagree on what i'm talking about is a clear indication that someone is sinning and it is always easier to overlook it it's always easier we don't have the sweaty palms the sweaty pits the sweaty shoes we don't have the sweat you know in just all kinds of places that maybe you maybe you're an ear sweater that's strange but maybe that's how you get down It's always easier to overlook it, but it's never loving. It's never faithful. And it should never be the response of a Christian. We are those that because we are commanded to walk in love with our brothers and sisters in Christ, when we see them moving away from the gospel, we come near them in love. We don't come near them in hatred. We don't come near them with vitriol. We don't come near them and browbeat them. We don't say, do you know? And just smack them with a KJV and say, this is the truth. We are those who come near them with a gospel and say, it is breaking my heart to see the decisions you are making, to see how you are living your life. God loves you. And his delight is is to see you walk in repentance. And I would love nothing more than to walk with you as you seek to live righteously and faithful to the Lord. That's a hard conversation because it places us in conflict with people in our lives who we look up to. And we might find ourselves in the midst of loving people that way, losing friends. But I will tell you that that is the only way to be a faithful follower of Jesus and have relationships with the people around you. We need such friends. We need them. And I need people in my life who will come up and say, you are a pig-headed jerk. Stop sinning. Maybe not that way, but in French, I'm sure it sounds very polite. We need people to come up to us and encounter us in our waywardness and to call us back to faithfulness in Jesus. Listen to how Paul corrects it here in 18 through 20. Paul says, listen, I know it feels good to have a lot made of you. And in fact, it is good to have much made for a good purpose. And he describes his own personal investment in them. He says, but not only when I'm present with you. He says, my little children, I am in anguish of childbirth over you until Christ is fully formed in you. See, Paul's heart for the Galatians is not that he would lose his relationship with them, but Paul's heart for the Galatians is that they would abandon their sin, is that they would move away from this crossroads and headed towards being enslaved. And that they would move back in a right direction, being faithful to Jesus in all things. And how long is he willing to stay in it with them? He says, until Christ is fully formed in you. One of the great graces for us, the terrific mercies for us, is that we are a people in process. None of us have fully landed and made it to sinlessness. Amen? And the grace of God finds us in our tendency to move in the wrong direction. And it arrests our progress, and it does it through the movement of the Holy Spirit. It does it through faithful friends who will come near to you and say, Hey, man, I love you, but you're wrong. I love you, but you're making bad choices. I love you, but your attitude lately is not One that is representative of of a follower of Christ. What is going on in your heart? What is God trying to show you in your heart? And could I walk with you and help cultivate with you a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit? What we see in the midst of this is what it looks like to love people well. To stay with them until Christ is fully formed in them. Many of us are at a crossroads today. We recognize that we have not truly been walking in faithfulness to God. We've occasionally headed that direction. We've attended church a few times. We've read our Bible. At least we know where several Bibles are in our homes. But it cannot truly be said of us that we are living faithfully unto the Lord that we are pursuing his justice, we are pursuing his righteousness, that we desire to see him glorified in our thoughts, in our actions, and in our work. And the crossroad before us calls us to walk in faithfulness to God. To recognize the devastation and the destruction that awaits the path of ease. That's the crossroad that many of us are at today. But as I'm preaching, I'm aware that there's another crossroad before many of us. The crossroad for many of us in this place is we are here and we must make a decision. We recognize that we are on this path towards faithfulness, but we know our brothers, we know our sisters, we know our children, we know our parents, we know men and women in our lives, that where they are at is headed on this path to destruction. And it has been comfortable and easier to leave them on that path. But what I want you to consider today is is it loving? Is it kind? And can you think of times in your life when a faithful brother or sister has come to you and who has loved you enough to say stop, come back. His love is here. Would you join me in a time of prayer? I want us to just stay where we're at this morning. Have a time of prayer. And I want each of us to ask God Where am I? If you bow your head, let's pray. I'm going to lead you into just a time of prayer. God, would you reveal to each of us, God, where am I? Where are we as a family? What steps do I need to take to be faithful to you? What path are the people around me on? And what steps would you have me take? that they might head down the path of righteousness. What might it look like for me to walk in faithfulness? God, as well, we pray for those That they have never found themselves walking in faithfulness. That in truth that they could say today that they are not known by you. God, your scripture gives us a clear indication of what it looks like to follow Jesus. That you would confess your sins, that you would confess him as Lord, believing in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. It is a desire to be known and to know Jesus. So, gotta pray that you, by the power of your Spirit, would move in the hearts of any who do not know you this morning. That in the moments after this service, that they would find a member of the staff or the elders, and that they would just say, how can I know Jesus? God, would you lead us in righteousness? Would you lead us to follow you in all things? To submit to you in every way? God, we pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.